tonight on Arena. The Iron Claw, Double Blind and Steve McQueen's Occupied City are the movies up for review. And the Spice Girls of String Quartet music, Bond. Five one double five one is the text. You can tweet the programme at RTE Arena. Tonight's movies, we have Iron Claw, starring Zac Efron and Lily James. Efron plays Keith Erich, one of the four brothers from a wrestling dynasty. Based on a true story, the film is full of pantomime antics of the ring and the tragic behind-the-scenes story of the brothers. Occupied City, it comes from Oscar-winning director Steve McQueen, joins forces with his wife, the screenwriter Vianna Stitker, for this immense documentary, which chronicles the lives of Jewish people and others during during the Nazi occupation of Amsterdam during World War II. And finally, Irish psychological thriller Double Blind, starring Millie Brady and Ashke Kumar. Uh, film follows a group of volunteers who take part in an experimental drug trial only to realise that one of the drug's side effects means if you fall asleep, you're dead. Uh, Declan Burke and Gemma Cray are with me in studio this evening and let us start off with the word of the Von Erich family in the Iron Claw. True story of a wrestling dynasty in 1980s Texas. And I suppose, Declan, there are kind of two sides to this story in many ways. All the macho, is it actually acting or is it actually activities, I'm not sure, of the wrestling ring? And then the story behind it, which... (laughs) kind of has a tragic pathos to it. It, really. it. it really does. Sean, you're absolutely right. I'll answer the first part if, if I can. The idea of, you know, can we make a good film about professional wrestling? Uh, we may never know because this is not a, a, you know, a film about professional wrestling. There's one point early in the film where uh, Lily James playing the character of Pam, who's Kevin's, he's the oldest brother. That's the she Zac Efron. Kevin's Zac, Zac Efron. She character. asks a very young, he, he, he tells her about his ambition to be the world heavyweight champion wrestler. And, uh, and she kind of goes, but isn't it all fake? You know, how to become champion at something mm. that's fake? And, and he gives her this kind of rambling answer about how it's a reward for excellence and so forth, but he never answers the question. So at this stage, the viewer knows that it is, as you say, a pantomime, that these athletes are as much actors as they are athletes. Yeah. So we know we're into, it's not it's certainly not an expose of professional wrestling, but the second part of what you referenced, the idea that this is a story of, 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 of pedos, it really is because the character of Kevin tells us in an over, a voiceover at the start that our family has been cursed. And, and there are a number of tragedies as the Along story the proceeds. Yeah. How many of them are self-inflicted is another question. But it's really a, about the dynamic of the family Von Erich than more, more so than, more than about wrestling itself. And I suppose you could argue, I mean, the Iron Claw sounds, Gemma, like some kind of wrestling hold to me. But in fact, the Iron Claw here could be the father. Quite a character is the dad here, Fritz Von Erich. Eric. Yeah, I'd say it's a wrestling film, probably third, and, and family dynamics mm. are at the core of how this film works. Um, Fritz is, is, a, is a, a figure that looms large. He's pushing his three sons that really want to go into wrestling and athleticism, and then one son that does not want anything to do with it. Who's the one position. that doesn't want to go? Is that the youngest? Mike, yeah. Mike, yeah he's so the youngest, he's, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's, um, he's played by Stanley Simons. He just wants to go off and play his music and just exist in this very sort of toxic environment. Yeah. I mean, the dad is very quick to say, you know, Kevin, you're my favourite. David, you're number two. Mike, you're down the bottom. And Kerry, obviously, he's doing great because he's off doing the Olympics now. Um, and 
and then but that changes on a day to day thing and he plays them against one another oh. there's there's a big level of like succession and politics Kevin is the grafter he works so hard but then when David is a little bit more charming and can control people in the ring and gets the crowd on his side suddenly you know he takes over the hierarchy and is played against one so another so not a way. lesson in parenting from Fritz <laughs> oh, that's no, for sure no. let's let's have a listen to him in a scene uh, with uh, Fritz von Eric played by Holt McCallany in a scene with Kevin played by Zach Efron they're in the locker room um, and he's talking about the dad is talking about the performance of his son in the ring you were long getting up yeah I just never hit the floor that hard before you gotta take it and get up yeah I know he wasn't supposed to throw me out the ring caught me off guard there was nothing I could do I physically I just couldn't move this is how they test you. <laughs> so you got to be a man and, and uh, got to suck it up type of thing is the, is the attitude here, Declan. It, it sounds like pretty damaging stuff. Uh, it, it does. I mean, he, he, he runs the family almost on a military mm. uh, basis. Now, it's, it's set in Texas in the 1980s, so the, the son's call, uh, yes, sir, no, sir, is how they address yeah. their father. Um, there, there's quite a lot of guns on, on the wall. Uh, the family is protected by God on the one side and guns uh, on the other. That's the theory. Um, and, the, and the kids don't realise. They've grown up steeped in this uh, yeah. milieu, so they don't understand that they've been damaged and so forth. You're right, the reference you make to the Iron Slow, it is this grip that he maintains yeah. on, on his family and, and then the, the negative consequences that that is going to have on his sons. But that all makes that this sound as if it's a negative film when in fact what's really good about it is the way the boys bond together. And Gemma mentioned that Mike is the youngest kid and he's a bit uh, lightweight according to his father. He wants to play his music. The way the older boys rally around their brother. So he would be perceived as the runt of the litter and, and yeah. in, in a conventional story, he would be the bullied one, the picked on one. But in fact, they Quite the opposite. Yeah. There's a really interesting scene early on where we've seen, uh, as Gemma says, Mike is being picked on by the father and cut to Kevin, the older brother, coming into his mother's bedroom to say... Play by Maura Tierney, the mother. By, and uh, in an excellent uh, performance, I should say, and saying, Dad is really getting on Mike's case. You need to talk to him. Wow. And the mother's saying, actually, that's your job, boys. So Kevin doesn't want to confront the father. The mother doesn't want to... Con- so the dynamic is set from very, very early on. So we have that lovely family dynamic. And into the midst of all of that comes the character of Pam Adkinson, played by Lily James, who's um, the girlfriend. I don't know whether she does, but kind of half presume she becomes the wife of Kevin. Maybe I'm presuming too much. And you can probably Google it if you want to find out. <laughs> um, what's the dynamic there? And what does she bring into the family when she arrives, Gemma? So I think um, the family doesn't seem so bad when we're introduced to them, but you really see the kind of toxic tendrils as the pressure mounts mm. and, and as the, like really it's the father's failed career. He never quite reached his goal. So he's keeps oh, looking through his, his sons. He keeps yeah. looking through his heavyweight belt. So the father, you know, in the, in the clip you just played, that was actually, he had set Kevin up to have um, a, a wrestling match with a, with a heavyweight champion to try and get the belt home but it was a real nasty um, interaction where he really hurt Kevin because he 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 kind of famously plays rough and plays against it so yeah. Fritz knowingly set his son up to do that so while that toxic environment exists um, Lily is is a breath of fresh air for him her, yeah. her character of Pam where she um 
warms to him immediately because he's so literal and unassuming and loyal. She yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's yeah. A, I have a clip of their first date actually and you get a lovely sense of a really gentle dynamic beginning to grow between the two of them. Zac Efron as Kevin and Lily James as Pam on their first date. I want to be with my family, you know, be with my brothers. Mm, that's sweet. What do you like to do with your brothers? Anything. I don't know. Just being together. We can do anything. Hmm. <laughs> what about you? Well, I want to be a vet. I want kids. I want my own practice. I want a man who's okay with that. Cool. So would you be okay with that? Oh, damn right I would. <laughs> we could be one of those modern super couples. <laughs> we could have our own ranch. Everyone could come live with us. All my brothers, their families. Okay. Ah, that's gorgeous. <laughs> Zach Efron as Kevin, Lily James as Pam in that scene from the Iron Claw. Just briefly, uh, you, were, you were both talking as you we were listening to the clip about the ripped nature of the of the wrestlers here, particularly Zach Efron. Um, he's a long way from his slender, youthful <laughs> looks. Um, he looks like he could crush a, a phone book with his bare hands. Yeah, he. Like. there's an attempt at one stage. I mean, people have seen him in Baywatch, for example, how ripped yeah. he was. He's twice as ripped. It's a different this. type of ripped. It's ridiculous. Yeah, OK. Stars from you in this one, Gemma? Uh, three and a half. It's it's beautiful. It's heartfelt. It, it gets very intense at times. Mawkish? Mm, I mean, I mean, it's very tragic, but I mean, at the heart of it is is a tale of right. resilience, and it's it, it is an okay. enjoyable and exciting watch. So okay. three and a half, three and a half, Declan. Yeah, I would I would say it never goes into sentimentality. It's tough in tone, but it's kind of touching in the exploration of the fraternal uh, bond. Right. Uh, four stars, four from you. All right, let us move on then to Occupied City, a documentary from Oscar-winning British filmmaker Steve McQueen, telling the story of the Nazi regime's brutal efforts to remove the Jewish population from Amsterdam during World War II. It's directed by Steve McQueen, written by his wife Bianca Sitker, and it's based on her book, Atlas of an Occupied City, Amsterdam, 1940-45. to Let's listen actually to a little section of the um, the trailer for Occupied City because it gives you a sense of the narration here, which is basically laying out what happened in Amsterdam when it was occupied by the Nazis. In May 1940, Amsterdam was taken over by the Germans. Immediately, they set the clock forward. So it was the same time in Amsterdam as in Berlin. The weather report disappeared from the newspapers. It was now a military secret. All streetlights were turned off. Dutch organizations were Nazified or forbidden. Soon, the Nazis started to ban Jews from parks, pools, shops, cafes and schools from all public life. Music by Jewish composers could no longer be played. In 1941, they started rounding people up. In 1942, the deportations began. Yeah, that's uh, part of the narration there. Natalie Hyams is uh, who it is who sets the scene for us in that opening section. In fact, she narrates the entire four and a half hours of the film in that tone pretty much the whole way through, which is kind of a detached quality to it. But what's important here is what we're looking at as we're hearing the descriptions of what happened in 1940s, in the 1940s, Gemma. We are not seeing um, stock footage. We are not seeing images overlaid or any anything like that. What we are seeing is um, modern day um, Amsterdam 
filmed over three and a half years since, um, I think it was three years since mm. COVID started. So at the very beginning of the film, um, we're in a physical space watching maybe protests of people, you know, protesting um, the restrictions that have come into place or we're watching we're watching a couple sitting down for dinner in a building um, while the narration is telling us the story of the really horrible events and tragic events that had happened in those exact spaces from the year 1940 to 1945 um, so it, it, it's very jarring in its in its tone it's 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 it is it's a very heavy watch in some ways and then in in other ways there's almost these moments of of kind of joy or silliness that mm. you see of of how you know citizens are going about doing their daily day-to-day business and how you know these this this memory is hanging over it like a looming haunting it like a ghost and the book the atlas uh, uh, that that I was talking about by um the by by Stephen Queen's wife um Bianca Stitker um she she has literally gone around from building to building she describes she gives you the address and then she describes what happened in that building in the 1940s as we look at the contemporary version of that building on the screen, Declan. That's right. I don't know how extensive um, the, the, the Atlas of an Occupied City is, but I, from, from this four and a half hour film, it must be very extensive. Mm. Because as you say, she picks an address. I'm sure, it's not at random. I'm sure there's a yeah. pattern to it in, in the actual book. But in the film, she picks an address and she simply, in very stark terms, you've heard the, the, the clip there, will tell you who lived there, what they did, what happened to them when the Germans came and almost invariably mm. murdered in insert name of concentration yeah. camp yeah. here. Now, that's not exclusively the story. It's not just one address after another. Like, there's a whole variety of addresses. A non-exhaustive list is, you know, cafes, restaurants, private homes. The Reichs Museum is dealt with. The, the Concert Gebouw, the Concert Hall, Absolutely. all of those places are dealt with. Virtually every aspect of yeah. Amsterdam life is touched by this. And, and it's about people who were deported and murdered. It's about people who joined the resistance. It's about... Yeah. Nazi collaborators who lived at these addresses. So it's a whole holistic... Holy. And, and the other side, I mean, to give an example of the kind of juxtaposition, there's one house that I particularly remember seeing where you, there's this young, this couple who've just got married and there's pictures being taken of them and they're laughing and they're taking selfies and they're phoning whatever family members and stuff like that. And the narration is telling us about how this was a place where pictures were taken by groups of people, family groups. It's even hard to say it because they kind of knew we might be separated. Who knows what's going to happen to us here? So they wanted to have a record of the family together. I mean, it's harrowing stuff, but it's important stuff, I guess, if that's not too pofist a thing to say, Gemma. No, and I think what what McQueen does in this quite well is puts forward a bunch of links to history and maybe how things are repeating themselves mm. like you know he while we're hearing about the background about how refugees were coming into a train station we're seeing um uh, like ukrainian refugees and and a, and a place where you know where they would go um we're seeing um a protest that's happening about curfews and yeah. we meanwhile people are dutch citizens are protesting against um covid restrictions that are there um, he he draws these parallels towards what's presently happening, and and even though, but not clearly, like not explicitly, like sometimes the image of that you're seeing on on screen is is someone awkwardly doing yoga or yeah. you know eating dinner, and it's very windy, which is I suppose which is that strange. There is a sense that this is ordinary life right now. There was ordinary life before the 
Nazi occupation in the 1940s, but it, it turned on a sixpence. I guess that that point is made. But there are parallels. Is he drawing parallels to the pandemic and the restrictions that happened? Because there are a couple of scenes of riots and, and, and you know, policemen on the street with barking yeah. dogs. And the sound of the barking dogs immediately brings you to certain and, and the, and the images from the 1940s. You're, yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right, Sean. Um, maybe parallels is too strong a word, but, but certainly the, the audience is invited to draw comparisons between the brutal repression that occurred in Amsterdam under the Nazi occupation and heavy-handed and possibly even quasi-fascistic tactics used by the play. I felt deeply uncomfortable during those kind of sections because there is no parallel between mm. the two sets of behaviour in terms of the, the suppression of, um, of, of... But I think Stephen Green is probably he's way too intelligent to make a, a direct part. He, he's leaving it he up is, to, you, to us to draw whatever conclusions that, we that want. That is 100% the, the, the case. And, yeah. and there are other uh, examples, as Gemma points out. But nowhere is it made explicit that this is what he is mm. or saying. And it is four and a half hours. Does it merit that long watch? Uh, I'll be honest, I did groan inwardly when I heard it was four and a half hours. The longer it went on, the more compelling it became you can't for me. Stop uh, you really can't. It, it almost becomes like a mantra. And again, you, you, you said the word pole faced earlier on. If this doesn't sound too pole faced, there's almost an element of bearing witness by yeah. sitting and watching, and it's the sheer length of it. You know, and that's only one small absolutely. portion of the and, six and, and a number of occasions that occurred to me: is this film too long? Probably. Which individuals' yeah, are experience would I take out? Yeah. No one's. Yeah, that's the, that's the point. Stars, and then I know it's probably crass to talk about stars in a case like this, but it, it, it's not that kind of film. Yes, but I would certainly give this a five star. And uh, Gemma, um, I actually think of this more as a piece of art and, and, and like an Almost experimental like an installation experience. in some ways, isn't it? And, and therefore I'm like, I actually would put, I don't think it, it's either good or bad or, or a three or a seven. Like, I, I actually think it's it's sort of a complex experience that is important and that I think I people should say, watch. Is it important? And yeah. You've just answered it before I asked it. Okay, that's um, Occupied City. Let's move on to our third and final film this evening, Double Blind, claustrophobic thriller set in the underground, an underground medical facility called Blackwood Pharmaceuticals. A group of volunteers take part in a drug trial overseen by Declan. Dr. Burke, <laughs> however, played by Pollyanna McIntosh in this particular case. What is Polly, What is Dr. Burke up to, Dr. Burke? Uh, well, in fact, Dr. Well, it's basically Dr. Burke is there to, uh, she, she's simply there to um, make sure that nothing goes wrong. So we can't mm. blame Dr. Burke for anything that does go <laughs> wrong. She can only administer the drugs that she has been given by Blackwood uh, Pharmaceuticals. But yes, she does very quickly realise that something wrong has happened uh, and the the hand of six or seven of the participants um, who are initially fairly laid back some of them are veterans of previous uh, trials they're very relaxed and so forth but once these kind of very strange symptoms start kicking in the veterans go this really shouldn't be happening and people really shouldn't be killing over and dying uh, on the floor yeah so if you if you sleep you die is what they realise very quickly. So stay awake uh, if you, if you can manage it at all. Um, it, it's quite a tense atmosphere here, reader. There's a kind of as it mentioned claustrophobia, but they're they're in an underground facility. So I'm guessing dark and you can you know you can't really get out of it. So there's that constant pressure on all of the characters. Well, it's 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 not 
dark in the sense where it's it's very sterile. It's it's mm. a clinical environment. It's it's you know like very kind of clean lines. Everything's white. Eerie. Everyone's kind of dressed in these pajama like clothes. And um, we're following Claire. She's a, a misanthropist who's who's kind of who's, who's on this trial because she has she's in between homes. She's nowhere else it's to go. It's Millie Brady, Claire. Yeah. yeah, and she really really needs the cash. And she's paired with Emma roommate Alison, who's <laughs> so <Abby> in <laughs> her face, who's so bubbly that you know it's the real odd couple but yeah Alison really starts to wear her down and opens her up a tiny bit as they're going through the process of this trial they start to realise the drug isn't having the effect that Dr Burke maybe claims that it was going to do and they start to get suspicious and one of the subjects are a medical student Amir who starts to get very um, nervous realising something is off All right. well let's listen to uh, the aforementioned Amir played by Ashke Kumar and here he is in a scene with Dermot Noy who was playing the character of Ray and he's beginning to realise that the wheels are coming off this experiment What about these? Some amphetamines Give us a proper boost No, 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 no. Hey. Whatever you do do not take any stimulants I wouldn't even drink coffee It's like Okay, um Imagine your brain is a computer and it's on fire Okay, no, no, no that, That's a bad metaphor Uh Okay, okay, I've got, I've got it, I've got it. Imagine your brain is a car, and it's on fire. But you, but you can still, you can still steer, and your momentum will keep you moving. That's why, so long as we stay awake, we're all right. But taking uppers or anything like that, you're just throwing petrol on the flames. So that's the bad news. But the good news is, it's completely treatable. Once we're out of here, all they need to do is put us on immunosuppressants, keep us monitored, and maybe, worst case scenario, a medically induced coma. It sounds worse than it is. But come on, we're going to be all right. All we need to do is last one more day. Once those doors open, we're saved. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> That's uh, Ashke Kumar as Amir trying to persuade Dermot Noy and his fellow participants in this uh, drug trial, which is part of the film uh, Double Blind that we're speaking about. Um, the director here, Ian Hunt Duffy, I think this is a debut uh, feature from him and teaming up with screenwriter Darek McGarrigal very ambitious project here uh, ambi- ambitious because they're, they're, they're blending two uh, genres uh, and in, as Gemma says we're in an underground facility it's very cramped and claustrophobic they're not content with that they're jamming together the kind of psychological thriller and the horror because while it's very tense in the early stages once the characters realise that it's the claustrophobia comes from it's their own minds that they can't trust because I mean sleep deprivation is a torture uh, so once they start hallucinating and they, they start experience all these negative uh, and homicidal instincts and so forth so there's an awful lot going on in a very tight space very stylishly done kind of ramping up the tension very very uh, slowly but very very deliberately yeah yeah, um, I'm just wondering to what extent does the horror become schlocky? How does it look, Jamie? You were complimenting as we were listening to the clip, the look of it. Yeah, so I'm, again, like in, in, at the beginning of it, it's, it's very much so grounded in reality and hmm. it's all it's all in the mind's eye that the trickery um, begins. But I think it's, it's very heightened then when that does kick in because... Um, 
you know, Claire starts to be haunted by um, a, like a like a, a vision from her past. She's, you know, like they're. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to give too much away. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm watching what I'm saying. But a, like another character who maybe may not have made it um, begins to begins to speak to Amir as, as in the form of a ghost. Um, when people begin start to get tired. All these trickery, this visual trickery, oh, this writing to starts to happen, okay. and it's done very, very well. And okay. very okay, so holds it very this well. sounds as if you both enjoyed this one. Stars from you, Gemma, uh, for definitely it holds its own on an international scale. Oh, wow. Like any mid level, any mid level horror. I, I just thought it was, I thought the performances were really good. I thought the I thought the set was amazing. I was like, you would never even think this was a first feature, but it's, yeah, it's there stunning. you go. Congratulations from you to them. So, what are you saying, Declan? Uh, I, I thought the <laughs> latter stage just didn't quite deliver on the promise of the first two acts but very clever terrific de- debut uh, three stars for a claustrophobic taut thriller from alright uh, that is the final of our films Double Blind which along with The Iron Claw goes on general release from tomorrow Occupied City will be in selected cinemas and that is also from tomorrow now tomorrow night very I'm really looking forward to this big event as Rough Magic start the celebration of their 40th birthday of course Rough Magic one of our most important independent theatre companies over the past four decades. Amazing productions along the way. Too numerous to name Copenhagen, Improbable Frequency, Solar Bones, Shakespeare in the Castle at Kilkenny and there are a whole host of others as well. With us on the evening at the Project Arts Centre tomorrow night will be founding members Lynn Parker, current artistic director of the company of course, Declan Hughes will be there and Siobhan Burke along with the now Booker Prize winning author but once upon a time Rough Magic actress Anne Enright. We'll have extracts from many of the important Rough Magic productions down the year. Owen Rowe, down the years rather, Owen Rowe, Eleanor Methven, Ashley McGuckin and Brian Doherty will be revisiting previous roles that they have played. I wonder did they have to relearn their lines for, for all of that. We will find out tomorrow night. Now you can obviously listen to us here on RT Radio 1. We'll be on as usual at 7 but live from the Project Arts Centre. But if you want to be at that event you can go. I think there are still some tickets left if you check the project website which is also talking about which I'll give you also give you details of all of the other weekend events celebrating this 40th birthday of Rough Magic Project Arts Centre dot I-E The Spike Cello Festival will be kicking off tomorrow as it returns to Dublin for the sixth time. Three-day event will bring audiences and world-class musicians from both home and abroad together. Weekend of jazz, pop, contemporary, folk and blues. Lots of other genres as well. This year's festival will also have a particular focus on female performers in the cello world. An amazing double bill of female cello artists will open the festival at Dublin Sugar Club with performances from Naomi Beryl's uh, trio and Gay Westerhoff and Eos Consul from the global sensation Bond Quartet, who have sold over 5 million albums worldwide. Of course, they've been referred to as the Spice Girls of classical music. And of course, I did that earlier (laughs) on in the programme. I couldn't avoid it. Gay and Eos will be making their debut appearance at the festival in a newly formed duo, Furl. And the both of them are with me in studio this evening. Now, Gay, you have a total entitlement to be here because you are the cellist uh, of the duo and of the quartet, obviously. So um, tell me a little bit about Furl, which is the duo that you've now formed with EOS. Yes, well, um, <clears throat> it's we, we've played together for years. As Bond. Decades. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we've 
travelled the world together. We've played all sorts of things together um, and we've written so much music mm. together. And we, we've we been writing a lot of music for like various film projects and whatnot. Mm. Um, and we just started getting inspired by all this music from our travels and experiences. Um, and it's yeah. a lot of the music at the moment is kind of like it's in nature inspired. And when we think about, oh, there's places we've been and yeah. drawing from that. And it's yeah. got a lot of cello, violin and piano and weird birds. Yeah, we, we listen to like a little that. bit in the moment. But of course, I've been nasty to you, Aos, because I've already <laughs> said to you, you're the imposter here in well, the have. Spike Cello Festival, <laughs> the yes. Spike Cello Festival. You're yes. bringing your violin. <laughs> yes, and it hasn't got a spike attached because that could be dangerous. <laughs> yes, well, um, it might be near yeah, your neck, which exactly, would be problematic. Yeah. No, I'm I'm um, freeloading, which is excellent. Um, <laughs> thanks to Gayi. Um, but it's great to be involved. I suppose mm. it's an alternative cello festival, so I, violin. Fair that, enough. That, 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 well, yeah. well saved. <laughs> but Bond itself, I mean, the two of you and the two others who are part of the quartet as well, it was such an extraordinary success for all of you. And it started uh, when you were all at college or you yeah. two were at college together. Were all four of you at college together? We, we, well, we were at different colleges, but we were yeah. all at college um, at the time when it kind of started. And yeah, I mean, none of us knew it was going to take off no. as much as it did. We we were thinking, oh, it might be nice for a year or so. Um, you know, I mean, nearly 25 years later now and it's still going. <laughs> and was it you, Aos, who got to be, you know, to record with Paul McCartney? That's pretty good. Oh, uh, yes, To yeah. record with Paul McCartney in Abbey Road yes. Studios. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that experience, because it's just, it's sim uh, emblematic of the sort of stuff that all of you as individuals did when you were members of Bond. Yes. Um, well, that was, I was part of an orchestra um, mm. and... I was playing there. I can't remember what his album was. That's bad, isn't it? <laughs> and he was very, very lovely. And then they asked me back to do another one in um, Air Studios, um, which I was leading. And he was chatting. And he was very friendly, kind of down to earth, and said, oh, you know, if you've got any songs, send them to me. And it was just really lovely. And I was quite touched. And of course, I didn't because I was too shy. Yeah, <laughs> you forgot. You did. And, then like, oh, the moment, and then the moment was gone. And for you, Gay, what, what, were there moments in, in the Bond, either as part of Bond or as an individual off out doing other things. You had similarly big international artists that you rubbed shoulders with. Yes, in the past, but nothing compares to the, my Bond sisters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Barry Manilow. We did play with them. Um, yeah, and Sting and all sorts of Yeah, Sting, Barry Manilow. There's a few in there that would, would stand out, surely. Yeah, there's lots of things, but you just go about your day, don't you? And like one day you happen to play with whoever or do play somewhere at the Albert Hall or the, you know, the Opera House and then you're on to the next yeah, thing the called, next day and then working. <laughs> and then you've forgotten about it. But, all, I mean, I treasure all those experiences. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, you, you mentioned um, some of the music that yourself and Aos have been writing together. Tell me a little bit about Woodland Creature. Is that who, who's... Yeah. yeah, yeah. Aos well, is pointing towards you, Gaye. She's like... <laughs> <laughs> you talk about it. <laughs> um, well, that was kind of in at the time. It started with an idea that was meant for someone else, a singer. Hmm. Um, and I was thinking about how a lot of singers these days they sound like woodland creatures, like their vocals these days. They're all like, oh, so old. Oh, oh. and it's 
started off. A lot of singers that. really looking forward to working Some with you. Some singers, now. a lot of these modern singers, you know how they, you know, like, they sing so quietly, yeah. like I'm so quiet, like a woodland creature, <laughs> you know. And um, that was the starting point, and then it just developed, and then I. Took it with Aos and then we were playing and it turned into something else. Right, it certainly did. But Let's, I kept the title. You kept the title <laughs> and forgot about the singers and that made it totally instrumental. Let's have a listen to a little bit of Woodland Creatures. <laughs> There we go, a little taste of Woodland Creature from um, Ferl, the duo who are with me in studio this evening, Gay Westerhoff and Eos Council. Council, a uh, very wise name to have as a surname, <laughs> isn't it, Eos? Ironically, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it did strike me, Gay, that you you know, you were you were slagging the airy voices of Well, no, I do like them as well. She gave you the line, I think. I don't know whether that was her decision or not, but when the violin comes in, Eos, it kind of emulates that, that slightly high sound, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it might come from people singing in their, and recording in their bedrooms and not wanting yeah. to disturb the neighbours mm. in a bedsit. Maybe that's what it was. But it's, it's a very <laughs> different... When I, when I think of Bond, I mean, I can see the album covers and you're all there. It, 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 the, it always felt as if you're caught mid-action, you know, like yeah. high-end disco. You, the hair, the wind is in the hair and it's all yeah, it's blowing back. Energetic. It was hugely energetic. This is a much more yeah. reflective and... This is like the, um, the antidote from all of that um, fast fingers and hair flicking. <laughs> it's like the balance that we needed mm. um, to breathe. To, yeah, <laughs> it's it is kind of like the opposite, really. Yeah. But um, I think it's good. It's, we've kind of mellowed as we've aged as well, and it's quite nice just to have that, you know, taking time and in uh, breathing. Yeah, yeah, it's good to keep on living. <laughs> and, yeah. and I mean, and the other aspect of the bond thing is we, we should explain. The title did come, was it from listening, was it, who was listening to or watching Dr. No and listening to the music of John Barry? That's how the name came about, wasn't it? That's right. Well, we, yeah, we've always loved the music of Bond. Um, 
yeah, John Barry and David Arnold. Yes. And um, But also, there were four of us, and we needed a name that was going to be easy to pronounce in lots of different countries. But the main meaning of it for us, I think, was kind of bond, like a connection. Yes, yeah. Because uh, yeah. that worked well, and kind of ensemble and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But it worked on many levels. And we did think it might be a name that everyone would recognise. Yes, yeah, that has that aspect. Furl. <laughs> <laughs> Is the title of the duo. Now, who's going to explain that one to me? Well, it's something that we wanted it to kind of evoke images of kind of nature, but without being too specific. So it's kind of like fir trees or like the furling of bracken, you know, like the scroll of an mm. instrument. Oh. Um, but there's another secret meaning that Gay might want to say or might not want to say. <laughs> oh, no, between. Oh, well, between. Okay. Sometimes it's like we, it's, we, we're calling it. Like, so we're fatter in real life. <laughs> Pearl, yeah, I yeah, see. Yeah. I will leave people to ponder on that particular acronym. A very interesting one indeed. We should mention, of course, the other two who yes. aren't here, oh, yes. who you've abandoned. I know. No, we have not. We love them very much. <laughs> Elspeth Hansen, uh, who regularly presents yes. actually on, on RT Lyric FM oh. as well. And Tanya, what is Tanya's surname? I can't find it. Davis. Davis. Tanya Davis. Davis? Davis. Davis, yeah. So... The the quartet still exists and yeah. do you, I mean, are there still plans to record more or to travel or how has that changed? We have more things we've recorded actually yet yeah. to release. Um, mm. we, were, we toured last summer, we went to Eastern Europe, we went to Indonesia as well, which is very exciting. So we, there are things that kind of yeah. come and go, but we, we used to do really long tours, like three months at a time. But having had families, obviously, we can't be doing that and we don't want to be doing that. So they're kind of smaller, shorter things that are a bit more local. Um, but, but this is quite um, easy to transport, really, the two of us. Yeah. Um, and we both live in London still, whereas Elspeth lives here in lovely Dublin. Mm-hmm. And Tani lives on the south coast in England. And um, it's just easier, like, kind of logistically to kind of have both things going. Yes, yeah. And it's, and it's a nice variety. And nobody's annoyed if it becomes a trio or if somebody... No, oh, no, they're all, very there's supportive. There's a lot of love, yeah. We're yeah. All, yeah. yeah. But we have got some... There will be a... We've got a couple of um, more, like, energetic Bond releases in our yeah. pockets yes. to come later this year. Yeah, the second track, however, that I have, I uh, think, is still... Uh, this is Bond, in yes. fact. But yes. It's, it's not It's not quite as energetic as we might expect, I ah. think. Is, um, this is the from the Ashes piece. Is this the Ionidi piece? That's right. That, that was used yes. as, at the Ashes, the cricket match. Yes. Oh, they commissioned us to record this piece, um, this Ionidi piece, um, and it was used in the Formula One as well, so it's oh, had a lot a of exposure. Bit. Uh, it's, there is a little bit of energy then in behind in behind it. Yes, yes. Yeah. kind of gentle building. Build. Yes. yes, yes, it starts slowly, but like the cars, it gets fast as the race goes on. <laughs> the let's best have a, type of energy. <laughs> let's have a listen to a little bit of Ashes.
Experience, in fact, is the title of that track from Bond. And with me in studio, two of the members of Bond, Gay Westerhoff and Eos Council, who are working as the duet Furl and will be part of this year's Spike Cello Festival. Just as we finish up then, you were telling me as we were listening to that that um, Elspeth Hansen will be there tomorrow. Any chance that you might pull her up and do a little bit of a trio on the stage or have you any plans for that mm. I suppose you'd need yeah, to yeah well, we were that, joking about that we were saying we should get Elspeth up yeah, yeah. she'll be de- if she doesn't get she'd up she'll know the last track we'll definitely be um, we'll be going we'll out we'll be mentioning her yeah yeah, and you might <laughs> be singling her out in the audience. <laughs> Actually, you might do a bit of an old session afterwards and just yes, have a, a bit exactly. of fun together. Well, listen, thanks to both of you so much for, for coming into us this evening. Gay Westerhoff and Eos Council, who together make up the duo for among the members of the bar, Bob Bond Quartet, are those two that were with me this evening. They'll be playing the Sugar Club tomorrow night as part of the Spike Cello Festival. It runs from tomorrow, Friday the 9th, through until Sunday the 11th of February. And you can find out full details on Spike cellofest.com Now, a day earlier than usual this week, as we'll be celebrating 40 years of Rough Magic Theatre Company tomorrow evening, of course, at the Project Arts Centre. First up in our album reviews this evening, uh, Brittany Howard, first found fame and multiple Grammys as the lead singer of Alabama Shakes, 2019 solo album Shame, earned her seven Grammy nominations and a win for Best Rock Song. Latest album is called What Now? Second album will be Swedish singer-songwriter Zara Larsson, 10 years on from her debut album, which she released at the age of 16. Her latest album is called Venus. Caesar collaborating again with French DJ and record producer David Guetta and English songwriter, uh, singer-songwriter Declan McKenna released his debut album in 2017 at the age of 18. Is back with his third album, What Happened to the Beach. John Marr has been listening for us this week and we're going to start with Brittany Howard and the title track from her new album, What Now? Brittany Howard there and what now title track from the new album John Marr as I said has been listening this evening when you think of John when you think of Alabama Shakes and you know (laughs) blues southern rock is this in the same area or does it go way off in its own direction this solo artist uh, version Sean it would be almost easier to mention the genres that aren't covered on this album (laughs) I mean it's a maximalist 
mm-hmm. record. It it encompasses so much, including the genres you mentioned. I mean, she hasn't abandoned the stuff that made that band so influential for mm. people like Drake and Beyonce. Let's not forget as well, Rolling Stone listed her in their 250 greatest guitarists ever. And her guitar is here. It's one of multiple instruments there, there's there's a it's lot not, it's going not as on. to the fore as it would have been in, in, in it, Alabama it, that's very yeah. true it, it, it isn't there is so much happening here in lesser hands it would feel like a dog's dinner just too much it just it, and yet there's something quite focused about this even though there's great eclecticism on show often in the course of the same song I mean in terms of yeah. the way the, it, it just can go in very unexpected directions midway through she's in command of it well, that's only because as, as we were listening to that song going out, I was doing a little bit of banching in the chair and I thought, oh, John's very stony-faced listening to this. But I think there were other matters occupying There were. I was, I was fascinated the by the, the quality yeah. of the speakers and all the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, I, th- I, th- I think it's, um, it's one of those albums that you can't, well... I, I sat still for those few seconds, yeah. but generally speaking, I mean, you just, it is, you find it? yourself moving. There's so much happening. What is she singing about? Well, the queer existence is important to her. It certainly was on her first album, Jame, and it is here again. There's a song on this that would work as a beautiful alternative pride album. It's Another Day. I describe it as a clattering, mm. percussive piano to exist a- acceptance. But mostly it's about relationships, about starting relationships, ending them, about kind of finding herself within them. And the beautiful thing about it is that she isn't very prosaic as a lyricist. I mean, she's kind of it, it, it's off the beaten track viewpoints. Uh, it's you, you, you cling to what she, what she says. Uh, it, she doesn't spoon feed you. Um, it, there's vulnerability there, but she's also defiant. Yeah. And uh, we were listening um, before we came to her this evening. Sound operator Damien was listening with me, and he mentioned Prince. And a lot of people have mentioned Prince, particularly in in connection with some of the others. Not necess- although there's a still a feel of it in that title track. What now, as well, isn't there? The, the, there is um, power to undo. Is the track that mm. really reminds me of Prince. Um, amazing arrangements on it. One has to credit co-producer Sean Everett as well as some of the very top players that that great music city Nashville has. They all combine beautifully here. All right. Um, What are you saying for Brittany Howard and his second album, isn't it, Jeff? Your second solo album? Uh, it, it It is her second solo album. It's a very solid four stars for me. I didn't have a great deal of time to live with this album, uh, but I think it's one of those things that will grow and grow. So for now, four stars. And you will be listening for that. Oh, yeah, in that for respect. sure. OK, let us move on then to album number two. Uh, Swedish singer-songwriter Zara Larsson returns with her new album, Venus, and an announcement of a European tour this year, which included a headline show at Fairview Park on June the 21st. Um, Tell me a little bit about what you expected coming to this album, perhaps, John. Well, I mean, Zara Larson comes from a country that has punched so far above its weight when it comes to pop music. I mean, people like Robin just delivering gem after gem. And, and there has all... I mean, 
you, you said at the outset of this that, you know, she came to attention as a teenager, which she did. She she won the Sweden equ- equivalent of, uh, of of the Get Talent uh, franchise. There's a, there is a lot of talent there. She has a fantastic voice. There's a sense that there's a great pop star waiting to emerge. And throughout her career, she's still very young, she's only 26, but throughout the career there have been moments where it felt as though she could become the next Robin. It certainly doesn't happen here. This is a really disappointing album. Oh dear! Um, well, let's let's have a listen, and then yeah. I, you can gather up more thoughts <laughs> before you tear it apart. Uh, this is on my, featuring David Guetta, which I, I think she's collaborated with him before. She has, yeah. yeah well, this this is a track called "On My Love." from Zara Larson um, and also features David Guetta in that track and that's from Zara Larson's new album Venus there's such a, 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 a disappointment written across <laughs> your face even as, you, as you're listening to that John you, you pulled off the glasses and I kind did of yeah a, with utter a, disdain yeah. I mean th- this song builds and builds and it would work beautifully in a, a spin class down your local gym, you know, when that's, you want to get the heart rate going. But what, what my massive problem with this is the lack of character on the yeah, album. Because is that the voice that you would expect to hear from Zara Larson? Well, it is on this album. I mean, it, 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 it plays it safe at every turn. And David Guetta, he's a huge dance floor star. He also plays it terribly safe with so much of the music that he does, particularly when he's in collaborative mode. They have worked together before. This feels curiously dated. It's like something that we would have listened to 10 or 15 years ago and thought, yeah, EDM, electronic dance music, it kind of works. It's, it doesn't here. It, it's, it's bland. There are, there are moments that, that are better. Can't mm. Tame Her, um, I think is the best song here. And partly because it reminds me of that mega hit from The weekend, Blinding Lights. Right. They don't. She doesn't seem to have sampled right. it, but it sounds remarkably like it. I but would urge listeners to go and hear this song and okay, make up o- their own minds. Overall, on the album, I sense disappointment. Stars from you on uh, yeah. Zara Larson and two, John. two out of five. Two out of five. Okay, let us move on then to Declan McKenna. Sounds like a good Irish fella, and his album, What Happened to the Beach. He will be live in the Three Olympia in Dublin on the second, uh, April second and third. This is his debut album, isn't it? No, it, no, no, sorry. He's, no, he's, it's actually his, four, it's, his fourth. His fourth, I beg your pardon. I made he, that up myself. He, he has actually a bit like Zara Larson. He came to prominence when he was very young, I think from about the age of 15. Oh, yes. And yeah, he was yeah. still a teenager when he had a big hit with Brazil, a song that kind of, among other things, looked at 
corruption football of all things that was around the time of the World Cup in Brazil uh, and Declan McKenna you know he's, he's, he's a man that I always kind of impressed me as somebody who had a lot to say mm. but but yet I, I Londoner kind of, of Irish a, a Londoner very yeah. much of Irish extraction um, this album uh, is a big departure for him it's, it's very much an American sounding album it's a freewheeling album um, it feels kind of homespun and it it feels like he's having a good time. Previously, you sense that he's got some major themes to impart in his music. Here, he's just relaxed. All right. Do you want to hear sympathy or do you want to hear nothing works? Sympathy. Sympathy. Okay. Let us listen to sympathy. Oh, no, no. Where am I going now? Uh, there we go. Let us listen to sympathy from David McKenna. Declan McKenna. There we go. Sympathy from Declan McKenna and his new album, What Happened to the Beach. And <laughs> as that started, I remember was listening to it earlier as well, Jonathan. Oh, kind of synthy brass band, but it kind of plays into the fun of that. And when the guitar comes in later on, it's clever it in the is, way it plays around musically. It, it is really clever. It reminds me of people like the, the Flaming Lips, particularly on the last album, American Head, where... You know, they're just enjoying themselves. Mm. They're having fun. I don't know if much marijuana was smoked uh, in the making of this album. We I have sus- no idea of such I, things. I, I, I suspect maybe some of it was. We cannot because, speculate. Uh, we, we can't, uh, naturally. But there is a just such a kind of relaxed vibe to it. And, you know, McKenna was somebody I kind of sort of ignored. He was impressive. And then there's a million other people to listen to. But this is the first album of his that I feel is consistently strong. Really grabbed me. Some fantastic music. And there's a producer, and I'm going to try and pronounce his name because it's challenging, Gianluca Buccalati. And he is best known for working with Lana Del Rey and Arlo Parks on the album that she won the Mercury Music Prize for. I think he has opened... Declan McKenna's ears to a completely different sound and I think it works really well. So you enjoyed this very much so. About that there is no doubt. Stars then for Declan McKenna from you John. Another very solid four. Very solid four. Two good albums and one that didn't tickle your fancy. That is very clear. What happened to the beach uh, from Declan McKenna? What now from Brittany Howard? I think the two at the top. Venus from Zara Larson, not at the top of John Mars listening list for the rest of the week. And that is our lot for this Thursday evening. Um, yes, I'll have to look out and see if I get him. Stephen Dempsey is the broadcast coordinator. Uh, Damien Chanel was on sound. 
Stephen Higgins, in fact, was the broadcast coordinator. I don't know who Stephen Debsey is. And uh, Paula, uh, Paula Shields and Leah Murphy were the researchers tonight. And tonight's programme, the person who's just told me all of those names, was Sinead Egan. I will be back with you tomorrow night, live from the Project Arts Centre, celebrating the 40th birthday of Rough Magic Theatre Company. Really looking forward to that. That's tomorrow night here on RT Radio 1. John Creedon will be with you after the news.